Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 126 this morning. I hope you've been enjoying our Advent series uh, this year. We've been journeying through the Psalms together over the last couple weeks, and it's a little bit more typical for us in these weeks leading up to Christmas to spend our time in the Gospels, uh, looking at the story of how Jesus was born, or maybe even looking back into the prophets and looking at those passages as they foretold of Christ's coming. And so the Psalms are a little bit different for us, but it's been really, really good. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. Uh, two, two weeks ago, Pastor Jeff began by sharing Psalm 80 with us and helped us see that through the ancient poetry of these Psalms, God comes to us and joins us in our laments. And then last week, Pastor Ray walked us through Psalm 85 and helped us remember the love of our Heavenly Father who always welcomes us back home. And so spending time in the Psalms during Advent may feel a little bit different, a little bit odd for us, uh, but Advent is all about anticipation. And the Psalms are full of anticipation, and they're full of longing, honest questions from God's people, wondering how long they are going to have to wait for rescue and for salvation. And so a great place, it's a great place for us to spend these weeks of Advent and Christmas together. So we're going to continue in the Psalms this morning, and it's not a gospel passage, but I'm going to ask if you're able to go ahead and stand as we read from Psalm 126 this morning. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of God for the people of God, and our response is always, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, this is always a really fun Sunday in December for us. We get to begin with the kids and their performance. I just want to take a quick minute and say thank you uh, to them first and foremost, but then also uh, to Jen Harding and her team for working with our kids. Can we just give them a round of applause for all that they do? just a really fun part of our service this morning, and they are awesome and continue just to do a great job investing in our kids. So they're phenomenal and a little bit of a tough act to follow today. A lot of you are here uh, to watch nieces or nephews or grandkids, so the part you came for is over, and now I'm up here. So you just got to wait me out about 25 minutes, and we'll, we'll get you out here. Um, 
But I wanted to begin this morning by jumping into the great debate of Christmas music, because I think some of you may have a little bit of a problem. Some of you start listening to Christmas music long before you probably should. Okay? Long before December. For some of you, long before Thanksgiving. And this is concerning to me, okay? Now, I have to be really careful here, because I'm pretty sure that in my home we had Christmas trees. That's right, plural trees. Up by like the second week of November, and I know my wife was playing Christmas music as we were decorating and those kinds of things. So uh, I have to be careful here. Uh, but that is the big question. When is it acceptable to begin listening to Christmas music? And I don't want this to be purely subjective, so I brought some good data this morning, okay? This is a very <laughs> official poll straight from Google Images, so you can know that it's reliable. But According to this poll, a majority of Americans believe that you should wait until the day after Thanksgiving to begin listening to holiday tunes. And then you've got some outliers here, right? You've got the 9% who believe that it's okay to listen to Christmas music all year. Maybe a little overzealous for my taste. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the 6% who are just kind of scrooges. They don't have room in their hearts uh, for the Christmas spirit. And they think you should never listen to Christmas music. So I don't know where you fall in this discussion. I don't know if you have a strong opinion or if you care at all. Um, but in our house, it's a little bit different. In our house, uh, we have a Christmas song that's no longer a Christmas song. We've un the song, okay, um, which makes it acceptable to listen to all year. A few years ago, after we moved to Michigan, actually, our son decided that he really liked Silent Night. And so that Christmas, that became the song that we sang at bedtime as he was going to sleep. And so, and it worked, right? It's, it's all is calm, sleep in heavenly peace. Like it works. Like it's kind of this like lullaby kind of a song. And so Owen just kept asking for Silent Night at bedtime. And so now almost four years later, we still sing Silent Night at bedtime almost every single night. And now Owen is actually teaching his brother that Silent Night is a song of, of comfort. And so his brother will get upset and he'll actually start singing Silent Night to him to calm him down, which is really, really sweet. But it dawned on me a couple weeks ago, I bet he has no idea that Silent Night is a Christmas song. And so I asked him, I said, hey, buddy, you realize like Silent Night is a Christmas song, right? And he's like, really? Like he had no idea that it was actually a Christmas song. So Silent Night is no longer a Christmas song in our home. But outside of Silent Night... I feel pretty strongly that Christmas music needs to wait until at least after Thanksgiving. Amen. And even waiting until that first week of December. Like, you've still got like three, four weeks here to work with. So I'm, I'm in that boat. But obviously, my wife Morgan and I, we disagree about this. She's on the front row today, which is dangerous. So I have to be really careful. But Christmas music is played early and often in our home. I know I'm going to lose that battle. That's just the way it is. But for most of us, even those of us who wait a reasonable amount of time to listen to Christmas music, Christmas music, I think it would be hard for us like, to go into the holiday season with no Christmas music, no Christmas songs at all. And I don't know if you're like us and you've un-Christmased any Christmas songs like Silent Night, but I would guess that there are probably other songs in your home um, Christmas or not, that have probably attached themselves to you or to your family in a significant way. Um, if you've been alive in 2023, you may, if you have kids, you probably have had the Mario 
soundtrack and stuck in your head at some point this year, or at least the song Peaches playing on repeat, that was a popular one. Or maybe you're one of the many, maybe you're one of the, the Swifties this morning, and uh, it's Taylor Swift that's played over and over in your home this year. I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan. Like, I like her songs, I don't love her songs, but I understand that it, that's me. Like, I'm the problem. It's me, all right? More of you got that joke than I thought maybe, but I was just making sure I was going to have to draw everybody back in after that one. But Christmas music or not, though, music tends to stick with us, and the songs get stuck in our heads. Music is kind of weird like this. We can't remember, like, the most basic things in our life, like where we put our car keys or the password to our email account and things like that. But if you play a hit song from 20, 30, maybe even 40 years ago, we know every single line and lyric. It's kind of like muscle memory for us. And those songs just kind of stick with us. And they're, they're a part of us. They're part of who we are. And our passage this morning is a song. And like a good song, the psalmist wants it to stick with us. He wants it to get stuck in our head and take deep root down in our souls. And not all of the psalms were meant to be sung, but many of them were, and ours from today almost certainly was. Psalm 126 comes from a section of the psalms known as the Songs of Ascents. There are 15 of these Songs of Ascents, Psalm 120 through 134. And in your Bible, depending on the translation that you use, these psalms may also be called pilgrimage songs. They were songs that were sung by Hebrew pilgrims as they made the trip to Jerusalem three times each year for worship during the different festivals. And since Jerusalem was the highest place in that region, those who went there spent the majority of their journey ascending. And so these songs of ascent were the songs that the people sung year after year after year as they prepared themselves for worship as they went up to Jerusalem. Now, the Psalms in general are really unlike anything else in Scripture as you read through the Bible. They're not like a letter like you find in the New Testament from Paul. They're not a story like the Gospels are a story. They're really not there to teach us history. They're not there to record the details of specific events. They're more like reading someone's journal. They contain these mountaintop high moments and deep valley lows as well of not just one person's spiritual journey, but of an entire nation of people. The Psalms are filled with praise and with thanksgiving and wisdom, reminders that we can trust our God. But they're also filled with vulnerable prayers, with desperate petitions, honest questions and complaints, and even some deep, deep sorrow. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jeff pointed out that a majority of the Psalms contain themes of lament and grief and even doubt. So I love that the Psalms are this honest with us and that they're unfiltered. They tell us the whole story of the human experience without cleaning it up, without sanitizing it for us. Nothing is omitted and left out from the Psalms. It's all left in there for us because we benefit from all of it and we relate to all of it, the good and the bad, the highs and the lows. And our psalm this morning, Psalm 126, is a psalm of some of those high mountaintop moments. It's a song that is full of joy, but it also remembers some of the deep valleys of the past 
and even acknowledges some of the difficulties of the present and the future for the people of Israel. And so this morning, we want to unpack the words of this psalm just a little bit to understand why it meant so much to the people who sung it year after year after year and why we, 2,000 years later, would continue to read it. Psalm 126 was written as the people of Israel returned from exile. They'd been waiting for this day for a long, long time. They'd been in exile for about 70 years. So multiple generations have been waiting for the day when they would finally get to come home. And it hasn't been an easy journey. These 70 years have left them with the marks of struggle and the scars that come along with that kind of a journey. And the surrounding psalms don't ignore the fact that life has been really, really hard. Nobody wanted to experience the exile, right? But rather than resenting those past struggles, our song of ascent today is filled with joy as the people celebrate the way that God has answered their many prayers and has finally delivered them. Verses 1 through 3 of our passage reads, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. They couldn't believe it. Verse 1 says that the circumstances that they were now experiencing were like a dream to them. They'd hoped that this would happen. They have prayed for this to happen. And after 70 years, God has come through for them. And so no wonder they are filled with these songs and they're singing with joy and their mouths are filled with laughter and declaring what the Lord has done for them. When they looked back at where they'd been and then they looked around at where they found themselves, it felt like a dream. There was so much for them to celebrate. But in the latter portion of our psalm, beginning in verse 4, the psalmist begins to pray for the Lord to restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Now, you might be thinking, we just read verse 1, their, their fortunes have already been restored, right? Like verse 1 says that the Lord has already restored the fortunes of Zion. So why would we be praying for that to happen again well the reality is well coming home was the dream for them and it was it's exactly what they wanted there were a lot of challenges waiting for them when they got there they were going to have to rebuild everything they had new neighbors that they didn't know they didn't know if they could trust those neighbors those neighbors didn't know if they could trust them so there was that tension that dynamic when they got back the fields and the vineyards that once thrived and provided life for them and that they relied on, those were dead and gone and they had to replant and start over. The city of Jerusalem was in ruins. The temple had been destroyed and so they were home. And that was the dream. That's what they wanted. But home wasn't what it used to be. And so even in their joy, as real as it was, they had lots of questions about what was ahead for them and what their future had in store. And so they prayed that God would continue to restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Now this morning, we don't have any Greek words. That's a little bit more difficult when you're in the Old Testament. But we do have a Hebrew word this morning, and it's not a secret. It's right here in the middle of our passage. Um, the word Negev. We're going to learn this one together, okay? 
I'm going to ask you to repeat it three times because that's what we do here. So we're going to say one, two, three, Negev, one, two, three, Negev, one, two, three, Negev. That's stuck in your Christmas vocabulary now. But uh, the Negev is a large desert region in southern Israel, and it's still there today. Uh, we have a picture of this landscape this morning, and it, the word Negev literally means dry land. And in this desert region, water is extremely rare. It's actually the reason that to this day, only about 10% of Israel's population lives there, even though it makes up about 50% of the country's land area. So most of the time, the Negev was and is this dry and arid climate, not a lot of life there. But once in a long while, it would still rain. And a sudden rain would cause that dry, brittle, dusty ground to be transformed into streams that would actually flow with water. And I have a video of these streams as they flow and what that looks like as they come down into this Negev area. And when this would happen, it would bring life and growth to that entire region. And so for Israel, they're filled with joy because God has brought them back home, but they're also overwhelmed by just how messy life is going to be going forward as they have to rebuild everything. They need God to show up like rain in the desert. They've known God long enough to know that He's done it before. But they need him to do it again. Recently, my three-year-old son, Theo, discovered that he really likes chocolate-covered granola bars. Okay? And chocolate has kind of been a decent theme for us at C3NAS the last couple of months with our Colossians series. So I thought we'd just stick with chocolate this morning. There's no broccoli in this chocolate, though. This morning. Uh, so Theo really, really likes these granola bars, and we had to kind of start keeping track of how many he was eating because Morgan and I wouldn't realize that we had each given him a granola bar when he would ask for them, and then by the end of the day, he's eaten like three or four or like five of these granola bars. And so we started limiting the granola bar consumption, but then Theo discovered where we kept them in the kitchen <laughs> and just kind of started like helping himself to these granola bars. And normally a chocolate granola bar probably shouldn't be that messy of a food, right? Like they pretty, you know, pretty basic food here. But give them to a three-year-old and like the possibilities are endless. That chocolate melts like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Yeah. So his face and his hands would be covered in this chocolate. And now this is actually a picture from an ice cream shop. I didn't have a picture of the granola bar incident. So... This is a little bit of an exaggeration, as all good sermon illustrations are, but uh, it's not too far off from what we would find in the aftermath of the granola bar incidents. But we would come around the corner and we would see his face and we'd ask him, hey, Theo, did you have another granola bar? And he would say, nope. <laughs> totally oblivious that his face is telling a very different story, right? And so we would laugh and we'd say, okay, like, you know, lots of mess here. Let's get your hands and your, you know face cleaned up before you go play and touch everything so you're not like King Midas with the chocolate touch everywhere, right? Um, and But when we'd say that, like sticking to his story, he would declare in broken toddler speak, I not messy, my face fine, all right? We're also working on telling the truth, like there's there's some layers here. But in our search for joy, I think we can be tempted to pretend that the messiness of life just isn't there. 
And to feel like as good Christians, we should just have it all together all of the time. And that we should just be able to put on a happy face and even maybe join Theo in insisting, my happy face is fine. I'm not messy. And just go on with life, even though there may be evidence to the contrary, that if we're being honest with ourselves. Unfortunately, I think sometimes we think and we feel that like that's what the joy experience is. It's pretending that everything is fine when it's not. But the good news is that that's not what Psalm 126 is about. That's not what we learn from the Psalms. Joy isn't something that you only have if you're lucky enough to escape the difficult and messy things in life. It's not a mask that you put on over what's really happening. The beautiful thing about joy is that we know Jesus and that in knowing Jesus, we're invited to experience this joy in the midst of all of life, the highs and the lows. Joy doesn't mean that we're immune to the hard things that come our way. It means that we find joy in knowing that the Lord joins us and is present with us in even the driest of deserts, in all of the messiness of life, and that our God continues to show up and offer us his hope and his peace regardless of our circumstances. And there is real joy in knowing a God who provides that. Eugene Peterson wrote a book uh, a while back called a Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it's a phenomenal book. Highly recommend it. Um, but it's based on these Psalms of Ascents. And in the book, he devotes an entire chapter to Psalm 126 and the subject of joy. And he explains that we really find joy in two ways. By looking back and by looking forward. In looking back, we can remember how God has been faithful even in the toughest of times. We remember how he's carried us throughout our difficulties. We remember how he's blessed us and how he's provided for us, even in the times when we weren't sure how we were going to get through. And Peterson adds, joy has a history. And so we can look back at the faithfulness of God and how he's consistently been at work in our life, and we can find joy in that. But then he also says that we find joy by looking forward. And that we can celebrate and draw joy from the fact that as God has been, we can know that God will forever be. That he will continue to be. That's who he is and we can trust that. And so this morning, I suspect that many of us might be feeling like we, maybe we're in a place similar to that of the people of ancient Israel. We've experienced the goodness of God throughout our life. We know that he's with us and we know that he will be faithful in the future. And yet right now we have a lot going on. Like we've got a lot that we're trying to figure out and the anxiety and the stress is starting to add up and we're, we're making it through. But if you ask us right now, like maybe joy isn't the first word we would use. Maybe joy isn't the first adjective we would use to describe what we're experiencing, the mess that we're going through in our life right now. But the good news is that we serve a God who brings streams into desert spaces. Who has a history of showing up in the times when we need him the most. And Advent, the good news is Advent is a season that reminds us that he will do it again. Sticking with Eugene Peterson this morning, I love how the message translation communicates our passage this morning. Especially in verses 3 and 4. It says, God was wonderful to us 
We are one happy people. And now, God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives. God, do it again. We don't just celebrate joy when we already have it, when it comes easy to us. But as those who know God's goodness, we also celebrate joy when we need it the most because we know that the good news is that it is available to us in all seasons and all circumstances. Peterson says joy comes because God knows how to wipe away tears and in his resurrection work create the smile of new life. So for us this morning... If you are here this morning and you are full of joy, if you know the Lord and you know His goodness and you felt His faithfulness throughout your life, if trusting Him is what has kept you going and you know that in Jesus your future is filled with hope, if you're, if you're sitting here this morning and we're reading from Psalm 126 and you're like, that's my song, the Lord has done great things for me and I am filled with joy, then this morning... I want to challenge you to share that good news with somebody. Our psalm teaches us that that is a song worth singing. It's a song that's been sung for 2,000 more, more years than that. And it's still true. And our world needs to know that our God fills his people with joy. And they're invited to know him and to trust him just as we are. But if that's not how you're feeling this morning, if that's not how you're going through this Advent and this Christmas season, then our passage is still full of hope and joy for you as well because it's in our deserts that our God creates streams of living water. We can look back and we can remember the ways that God has been faithful. We can celebrate that joy has a history. We can celebrate that 2,000 years ago, An angel announced to some shepherds that in the midst of struggle and pain and darkness and even oppression, God was sending his son to be good news of great joy that would be for all people. And because of that history, we share in a future that is filled with hope. And we're invited to know and trust a God who brings joy in the messiest parts of our life and who brings streams of living water even in the desert spaces. Because for the people of God, joy is our song. And so this Christmas and this Advent season, my prayer for us is that our joy would stick with us. And just like any good song, it would get stuck in our heads and our hearts and then our joyful song would overflow into our world. May we learn to trust our God who's been faithful in the past and lean into his love as we trust him with our future because he has done great things for us. He's filled us with joy and he'll do it again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words from scripture this morning, these ancient words of poetry that remind us who you've always been. And I pray that in all the busyness all the chaos of the Christmas season, you would help us to remember your love that came to us and continues to come to us even today. 
I pray that we would remember the ways that you've carried us in the past and that as we continue to walk with with you and, and learn what it means to trust you, you would fill us with your joy. You would fill us with your joy again. Help us to sing and tell of your goodness so that our world may know the good news that is joy to all people. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Let me send you out with blessing. Would you stand with me as we go this morning? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and with peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for being here this morning. We hope you'll join us next week for our two services. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week. Go in peace. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.